Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on November 27, 2022. One of the things that we do this time of year, of course, and you saw it if you came in on this side, is uh, Angel Tree. And uh, Rex Porter kind of oversees that for us. And he brought me one today and said, Pastor Jack, you just got to have this one. This one, a young man by the name of Xavier, is for you. Because here's what he wanted. He wanted, it's got to be a great young man, a Raiders sweatsuit, size 14. (laughs) So that's for me, and I will be getting him that and anything else the young man wants um, for (laughs) Christmas. Nice to know they're growing up right. Anyway, let's move on to, 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 to something else. I want to talk today about walking like Jesus, living like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, being like Jesus. And I want to start just by reminding you that some things that you see are very easy to recognize because they're common and their characteristics are very well known. If you see a 40-foot tall cactus with multiple arms, you immediately recognize, if you're from Arizona, that that is a saguaro cactus. If you see a small furry animal with big feet and ears hop across the desert, then you know that it's a jackrabbit. It's It's just obvious. You recognize it because of the characteristics. If you see a spherical ball with laces that spirals when it's thrown, you know it is a football. These things are common and are easily... These things are common and are easily recognized. Some things... Some things are not easily recognized. They're relatively rare and not widely known. And so you have to look at the characteristics, maybe even pull out a guidebook to recognize them. Several months ago, Don and I were camping in the Chiricahua Mountains of southeastern Arizona, and we saw an animal we had never seen in the wild before. I appreciated the fact that it, it, it stayed there in the tree looking at me long enough for me to pull out my telephone lens and get a picture of it. To be honest, I didn't even know before that day that they could be found in the wild in Arizona. Do you recognize it? That was one of about 15 of them looking um, at me from a juniper. Maybe this picture will help. This was one that was foraging in a campground area. It's a Cotamundi, usually thought of as a South American and Central American animal, but it does creep up into the far southern part of Arizona, um, especially in the Chiricahua Mountains. Today I want to talk to you about something, though, that's also relatively rare. Genuine disciples of Jesus. Most people haven't really searched the guidebook to find out what a genuine disciple of Jesus looks like, acts like, thinks like. And so they give just kind of general characteristics. They say, well, Christians carry a Bible, go to Sunday worship, listen to Christian radio, sing victory in Jesus and amazing grace, and they pray before meals. 
Now, those are good things, but none of them are mentioned as characteristics of Jesus' followers in the guidebook. That's like saying a Cotamundi is a warm-blooded animal with fur. That's true, but that's also true of buffalo or rabbits or grizzly bears or house cats. So today I want to give you from the Bible five characteristics that are true of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. I hope I will be describing you and me. If, if I'm not, then we have work to do. In today's passage, we're going to see five characteristics of true disciples of Jesus, and that must be true of all of those who claim the name, I'm a believer in and follower of Jesus, then if that's the case, these things must be true. So our passage is Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. Let's stand together and read these things. Stay with me a little longer than I normally read, but I want you to know this passage. And so here's how it reads. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited 
will get a taste of my banquet. You may be seated as we think about this. And I want you to understand the setting. A Pharisee, Luke actually says a very prominent Pharisee, someone who was well-known, invited Jesus to his home on a Sabbath. Now understand what the Pharisees were doing. They had already aligned themselves against Jesus, and so they were inviting Jesus not to honor him, but to find more ammunition against him. And as he often did, Jesus turned the tables on them and pointed out the real characteristics of a man of God. You Pharisees think you're it. You see yourselves as real followers of God. You see yourselves as the godly, the holy, the real people of God. Jesus said, I want to show you and tell you the real characteristics of a man of God. And so I want us to understand today the real characteristics of Jesus' followers. And the first is courage. And I'm not talking about bravery in battle. That's not mentioned here. What Jesus was talking about was the courage to stand up for the hurting, the grieving, the sick, the blind, the lame, the overlooked, the minority. Jesus was saying, those who are my people have the courage to speak up for them. Right in front of Jesus was a man that the King James Version said had dropsy, if you remember that word from the King James Version, or the NIV says that he had abnormal swelling, a retaining of fluid most likely due to heart or kidney trouble. And in Jesus' day, there was no real treatment. It led to death. Most likely, the Pharisees had put him purposely in front of Jesus, wanting more evidence to use against Jesus that he was willing to break their law and heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus didn't disappoint. But he asked first, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Hey, Pharisee, you know the law. Hey, expert in the law, you know. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And understand, that was at the heart of Jesus' disagreement with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were all about law and order. They had laws for everything, and the most important thing to them was the law. Now, Jesus was not opposed to the law, but Jesus was a people person, and he recognized that love is the greatest law. And the saddest part, the saddest part of this whole passage is in verse 4. When Jesus asked, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Verse 4 says, but they remained silent. No one spoke up for the hurting man. No one spoke up for love. No one had the heart of Jesus and a mouth of courage. They were not genuine people of God. The courage to speak up for the hurting for those who need it the most, is an absolute must-have characteristic of real followers of Jesus. Jesus and his people spoke up for the hurting. They spoke up against any form of racism. They speak up for the poor. They speak up for those with mental illness. Jesus' people speak up for the homeless, the unborn, for children 
from broken families. Jesus' people speak up for those who are sick, for those who are coming out of prison, for those hurting due to war or drought or crime, regardless of their citizenship or the color of their skin. We can't let verse 4 describe us. But they remain silent. It takes courage to stand up for the hurting. It often goes against the flow of modern church life. It often goes against the flow of modern political parties. But it must be who we are as a church and as individuals. If we are a people of God, we need to be the one who stand up for the hurting, the blind, the lame, the mentally ill, all those who are kind of left out. The church, God's people, must be the one to have the courage to say, what about them? They need love. They need help. Someone needs to speak up for them. There can be no law against it. If you're going to walk like Jesus, you must have courage to stand up for the hurting. We do really well standing up for our political views. We do really well standing up for our moral views, and I'm not opposed to that at all. But the real courage we need is to stand up for the hurting. Is there a law against this? Jesus asked, and no one said a word. We can't remain silent. The church must be the one to have the courage to stand up for those who need it the most. Let me show you two people who stood up for love as opposed to the law. Corey Tin Boom stood for Jews in Nazi Germany, though it was against the very unjust law of her day. She didn't just speak up. She put her life in jeopardy in order to save Jews and she suffered horribly in jail as a result. If you don't know her story, read it. The Hiding Place. I can't go into it. But this was a woman who, because of her faith in Jesus, says someone needs to stand up for the Jews. And she did. Harriet Tubman stood for slaves in America, though it was against the unjust law of her day. She put her life in jeopardy to bring slaves to freedom. And then later in her life, she was instrumental in starting churches and starting homes for seniors. If you don't know her story, read it. Because those are the characteristics of real people of God. They recognize people who need help. And they stand up, speak up, and do whatever is necessary for those who need it. You can't really claim to be a follower of Jesus unless you have the courage, not on political or moral things, we do really well there, but the courage to stand up for those who need love the most. And they're everywhere around us. Now you'll not have the courage to speak up unless you also have compassion. And maybe the Pharisees didn't notice 
the lame, the hungry, the hurting, the lepers, the demon-possessed, the Samaritans, the sinful men and women around them. They didn't go to camps outside the city where hurting people stayed. They ignored the blind and the lame who lined the streets and the temple area looking for help or a handout. They were so self-absorbed in their own worlds and had so isolated themselves from hurting people that compassion to them was just a word. They didn't put it into practice because they didn't hang out with anybody who needed help. It was all about them. We went camping. Our family did in California when our kids were small. While we were camping in Northern California, we wanted to see San Francisco. So we left our tent and we took a ferry across the bay and spent the day and we hit all the sites. I mean, we were a day, we were walking, we were on cable cars, we were on buses, we were pushing strollers, we hit Fisherman's Wharf, Pier 39, the Golden Gate, Giardelli Square, and all those things. We had a great day. We bought sourdough bread from street vendors and teriyaki chicken from street vendors and had more than our share because the kids found out if you went into a chocolate store, they gave you a free piece of chocolate. We must have gone into 12 of them that day. And so my kids were as hyper as can be. It was fun but incredibly tiring by the end of the day. I mean, the sun had gone down, and we had to get back to the wharf to take our ferry back. Instead of going the circle route where all the sites were, we just walked across the city. Kids needed to go to the bathroom, and so I stayed outside on the street with the stroller and the baby and the backpacks and everything we were carrying, and a very friendly doorman let Don and the kids into the, the back door of the Ritz-Carlton. I'm outside seeing the hungry, the homeless setting up their cardboard boxes. This was the height of the AIDS epidemic, and there were men looking almost like scarecrows on their pallets with signs saying, I need help. Just on the other side of the wall were the rich and the fancily dressed. Two different worlds. That's how the Pharisees lived. And that's often how modern American Christians live. Listen, real people of God have real compassion. So they go out the back doors, they go into the slums. They go on the reservations. They meet people coming out of prison. They learn of the places on the globe where people are desperate and hurting. And compassion leads them to do something. In modern American, suburban, white America, it's really easy not to know what's out there. But it's our job to know what's out there and to find the people that need the help because we have hearts of compassion and we can't just hang out with our own people. You want to walk like Jesus. You must have courage. You must have compassion. And the third thing Jesus said, all of aiming these at the Pharisees, hey, you religious people, you think you're doing great, but you have no courage to speak up for the hurting. You have no compassion. You don't even know they exist. 
and you don't have what real people of God must have, and that's humility. And Jesus spared no words. He knew they had no compassion because they had no humility. They were arrogant, and they saw themselves at the top of the pyramid. We're the best, we're the brightest, we're the strongest, we're the godliest. And Jesus made it personal. You you take the best seats at the banquet. You purposely go take the seats of honor because you think of yourself more highly than you should. You should instead take the worst seats. If any honor is due you, let it come from others and never from yourself. What did he say? He said, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Maybe nobody in the history of the world thought more highly of themselves than the Pharisees. Unless it's Americans. Or see ourselves as the cream of the crop. We're not. We are sinners in need of the grace of God. Like every other human being. And we have to recognize that about ourselves. If there's any good in us at all. It is Jesus peeking out of our lives. It's not Jack. It's not ABC. It's Jesus, and we need to recognize that. So real people of God have the courage to stand up for the hurting, have compassion for them, have humility to recognize who they are. And the fourth characteristic of Jesus' followers is integrity. Integrity, listen, because I want you to get this, because we throw that word around. Integrity is the, bil- uh, the ability to do the right thing simply because it's the right thing and for no other reason. You don't do it because you'll get applauded. You don't withhold from doing it because you fear punishment or persecution. You do the right thing only because it's the right thing, the godly thing, and you know that you will do it whether you face praise or persecution. You do right because it's right. So Jesus said, listen, I'm here at a banquet with a bunch of rich Pharisees. Invite the poor, invite the lame, invite the blind, invite the hurting to your banquets. Don't do it because they can repay you. They have absolutely no way to repay you. Your friends might think it the strange thing to do, but it's the right thing and God will repay you someday. Integrity is doing the right thing simply because it's the right thing and for no other reason. And it's really very rare in today's world. Politicians speak not the right thing, but the thing that will get them votes. Preachers speak not the right thing, but the things that their people want them to say and that will grow their church. They would rather get an amen from people in the pew than from God. Workers do the right thing, not because it's the right thing, but in the hopes that it'll get them a raise. Children do the right thing, not because it's the right thing, but because of the fear of punishment. But listen, real people of God do the right thing simply because it's the right thing. And they let God worry about the consequences. People may hate me, 
People may like me. That's not my concern. People may praise me. People may persecute me. That's not my concern. People might say amen, or they might get up and walk out the back door of the church never to return. That's not my concern. People of God do the right thing simply because it's the right thing. And that's a characteristic of Jesus. Man, there were times when he got applause and thousands of people came to him. There were days in which thousands of people yelled, crucify him. He was not concerned with what people thought. He was concerned with doing the right thing simply because it's the right thing. And that's what God's people must do. Real people who want to walk like Jesus have the courage to speak up for the hurting, compassion, humility, integrity. And the fifth thing is a word you don't hear much. Real people of God act with immediacy. It's part of integrity. Doing the right thing as soon as you know it's the right thing. No delay. No excuses, no procrastination. In the parable, those who had been invited and agreed to come to a banquet offered excuses when the reminder went out. Hey, now's the time. Y'all come. Um, I just bought a field. I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I really got to try them out. I just got married. I mean, they all sound like really good excuses. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. You all assume you're going to be in the great banquet someday in heaven. But Jesus said, I've invited you. You've not come to me. I'm moving on. So invite others, the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame. And he closed with this, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I offered you salvation. You offered me excuses. I'm moving on to others. Listen, don't let that happen to you. Real integrity is doing the right thing as soon as you know it's the right thing. God calls, you answer immediately. God says, go, you go immediately. God says, do, you do immediately. God says, follow me, you follow him immediately. Think of those who became his disciples. Peter, James and John, Matthew. Jesus said, follow me. And they left their nets, they left their boats, they left their jobs, they left their their tax collector's table, and with immediacy, they followed Jesus. Those who offered excuses, and there are a bunch in the Bible. You don't even know their names. Real integrity is doing what God has called you to do as soon as he calls you to do it. And we all have reasons. Well, I, I can't serve because I can't give because I can't speak because I can't do because I can't follow Jesus today because I can't be baptized now 
because we got the becauses down. We need the immediacy. God calls. We say yes. So that's what it's really like to walk like Jesus. It's more than carrying a Bible and coming to church and listening to Christian songs and saying prayers before you eat. It's having the courage to speak up, stand up for the hurting, to have compassion, especially for what Jesus said, the blame, the blind. It's having humility. Nothing special about me. God's special, but not me. It's having the integrity. I will do the right thing because it's the right thing and for no other reason, and I will do it with immediacy. I will do it now. So listen, two things that I want to ask you to choose to have today. Two things I want you to decide to do today. Number one, that from this point in your life forward, never mind the past, God can forgive you of anything of that. Never mind what happened yesterday, last week, any other time. Choose to have integrity. I will do what's right simply because it's right, no matter what the cost or the reward is. As, as a preacher, I have to decide, I will speak biblical truth, whether you guys like it or not. You've got to have that. Or you might as well not be a preacher. But you've got to have in your life, too, I will do what's right simply because it's right. Others may not understand me. Others may not like me. I may be hated or persecuted. It's part of the Christian life. We do what's right, no matter what the cost or reward. So choose that you're going to live your life with integrity. And number two, choose to live your life with immediacy. I will do what's right as soon as I know what's right. Before the excuses kick in, before I can think of 12 reasons why I can't do that today, if I know it's right, I will do it. And I will do it now. And that's how a Christian lives. I uh, have always given at children's camp. Whenever I'm leading a children's camp, kind of on the, the very first day, I kind of give them the rules for camp. And one that I always give, it's a rule I've given for years, goes like this. Be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. You remember that? Yeah. Hey, that's a good rule for life, not just for children's camp. Be where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to be doing, when you're supposed to be doing it. And if you do that, you're walking like Jesus. Now, some of you know what Jesus is calling you to today. Then today's the day to say yes. You ready to join the church? You can think of a thousand reasons why you can't or you shouldn't or you got to wait or whatever. You ready to be baptized? You can think of a thousand reasons why you can't come forward and say so today. You ready to put your faith and trust in Jesus? You can tell yourself, I got to think about this. I got to wait. But if you know if God's calling you, follow me. There's only one answer. Yes, Lord. Yes. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.